0: Welcome to the Dr. Me First podcast with me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. Hey there, welcome back to Dr. Me First, the podcast all about authentic conversations between us, female rockstar physicians. As always, I'm your super sassy host, Dr. Erin Wiseman, and through my conversations with our female colleagues, I hope that you see that you are no longer alone in medicine and that these are bringing you encouragement, inspiration, hope, and fun to your life and your practice. As your physician life coach, I bring you this community of true speaking, life-saving, and fierce females who are here to support and lift each other up. And I am speaking with Dr. Amanda Kuda. Totally quite crazy coincidence that Dr. Kuda and I met, but I am so thrilled that we did, that we had conversations without recording, so that then when we got on the podcast recording, I could just capture this magic for you. Today's conversation's word is recovery, but some other words that I pulled out of are conversation is recovery from burnout, we talk about deconstruction, and we talk about change. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Dr. Kuda and myself and walk away from it knowing that the questions that you've been asking in your heads, we have been to. So I hope this brings you some joy and some answers, and let's just get on into the conversation. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dr. Me First. It's me, the always spunky Dr. Wiseman, and I have another beautiful guest here today. This is Dr. Amanda Kuda, and she is going to tell us all about herself.
1: Hi, Erin. Thanks so much for letting me come on with you. I love listening to podcasts and I have never actually been on a podcast, so this is a really great new experience. I am a previous and I guess still current military physician, so I was trained at the Uniformed Services University in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. I had before that been from all over the United States, Midwest, East Coast, and so joining the military felt very uh, comfortable trained out in Hawaii um, in family medicine and met my husband in medical school. So he's a pediatric urologist and still in the Army. I'm currently a reservist. I work uh, as faculty at the Uniformed Services University in my my reserve position. And in my time in the military, I had a lot of opportunities to talk with um, families and residents and students and just about everybody about life in medicine and um, actually have a workshop that we do for the uniformed, you know, Academy of Family Physicians. Um, but as life often happens, I transitioned to the reserves because we had four kids and it was getting to be a lot to be active duty still. And in that time, that was four years ago, I explored a variety of options from private practice to locums work. And even thought about opening up my own direct primary care practice. But all of them seem to be not quite the right situation. I happened upon an organization called 98.6 that I started working with two years ago. Just part-time telemedicine startup sort of deal. And uh, it has evolved to now where I am their medical director. And that is a complete surprise um, adventure where I'm actually being able to Uh, have the opportunity to build a culture from the ground up because it's a startup around physician health and wellness. And it's, uh, it's a great opportunity that I've been able to find some more, you know, kind of blend of my work life rhythms.
0: That's awesome. You know, and it's so amazing. I, I know that we've talked about this before, like looking back, we're like, how did we get here? Like when it all first started out to where it is now?
1: It is so true. I, you know, I I heard you speak about kind of the development of physicians on a previous podcast. And I really feel like that is sort of the story of what happens. We are trained a certain way. It's sort of like when we have kids and they, you know, develop a certain way. And then once you get out of residency, you kind of have to solidify whatever skills that looks like. And then you hit this point of like, oh, everything I just learned doesn't seem like it's true anymore, and there's this deconstruction, and then there has to be a reconstruction and kind of recovery on the other side of that. So that's largely you know, where my word came from is this recovery experience.
0: Yeah, we're gonna jump into your word, and we're also gonna circle back to deconstruction because that's exactly where I am in my life, and I know that's where many women that I talk to, they maybe don't have the wordage around that, but I really like the concept of deconstructing rather than breakdown. So, yeah, we'll come back to it. So, with recovery, when you were scheduling to be on the podcast, what were you thinking when you picked the word re- recovery?
1: So, I think that when I got to the point of um, deciding to leave the military, I had thought I had my whole plan, you know, joining this private practice, didn't know I was going to do the reserves and everything kind of, you know, didn't play out the way I was expecting that first year out of the military and just again all of the words you want to use burnout you know everything that you kind of think of I was already burnt out even coming out of the military um, so had just you know kind of a variety of things where I really experienced this sense of failure um, had some you know again not staying in this private practice that I thought I was going to be a part of and that really hit me hard like I ended you know I ended that time and I my sister's wedding, we were actually hosting at our house. And I just remember this point where I was just, it was after the wedding, we'd gotten through all that and had this huge like blow up with my family. And like, this is not typical for me. I'm the oldest. And so I usually am a part of the peacemaking process in my family. And it just really made me recognize that there were some things that needed to change in my life. And I struggled with, you know my kids in kind of similar ways, and you know feeling like I had a short fuse and just you know just anxious. And you um, did the previous podcast on the the should storm, and you know I felt like for me it was like a shame storm, like all of that sort of stuff going on. And my sister had actually experienced some great um, healing as a part of a recovery program called Celebrate Recovery, and our church actually has one of those, and. Prior to that, actually, I'm not going in great order. I apologize. I had done some parent coaching around this idea of, you know, my family, um, you know, just working at who I wanted to be as a mom and had done some parent coaching with an organization um, in the Minneapolis area, which I had actually worked for in their infancy before I even went to medical school and they're called Connected Families. So I actually did some coaching myself with them um, on the receiving end and came to a conclusion that because you know, there's so much around behavior change that we sort of think about with our kids. But what I found was that this was really about me and the stuff that was going on inside of me and all of that kind of hitting at the same point, I decided that maybe, Oh, and then the other thing that happened at the same time was that I discovered this um, personality typology called the, um, uh, the Enneagram, which I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram at all, but it's, you know, it's like Myers-Briggs on steroids. That's the way I talk about it with people. Cause it's, It goes really deep and just really revealed some things about myself. And in that process, I was like, oh, the way I have been doing my life is probably not the way that I want to continue to do my life as I go forward. And I had also combined all this with a master's of public health when I was in the military and focused on um, health behavior Uh, as my, you know, sort of concept area. And in that, I learned about the trans-theoretical theory uh, or model for for change. And basically, it's the stages of change, which we know well, but the trans-theoretical theory, trans-theoretical model also incorporates these processes of change. And as I started to really engage with recovery and the 12-step process and I did a lot of reading about it before I actually decided to you know launch into it for myself it is all processes of change like if people want to be convinced of the 12-step program for anyone for anything I, I really have come to believe it works for not just addictions not just you know substances it's really for all of us that feel stuck in some way because it's a very um, dedicated process you know much of the work that you have available for folks in your coaching it sort of puts people through these processes of change I think that there's a difference between sort of making a resolution and then actually getting to the point of where you feel like things are different and having a process was really helpful for me so recovery to me was the process of this kind of deconstruction and you know it's definitely an ongoing thing this is not a, a, a journey that ends <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's, to me, it feels like, you know, the, the model of the onion. You know, you just peel off a layer and then you've got a new layer and then like totally. maybe it grows. You get a little green sprouty up at the top going. But I think it was really <laughs> so true. What you said is getting to that point that where you are at and the skills and the mindset that you're in has worked to that point but you get to a point where you're like, this is no longer serving me and I have to change or I have to grow into something Mm -hmm. else. And I think that's really hard for us as female physicians, because up to this point that has served us and has served us really, really well. Mm -hmm. Speak more Mm -hmm. about that with all of these things that kind of blended together in your life and help show you your next steps.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of was this realization, like you said, that the way things were first of all, we're not the way that they had to be. So there's a little bit of hope in that. But then there's also this grieving of like, oh my goodness, you know, it's like the, um, a mourning process. Like, I've lived so much of my life this way. And I now have this, these like aha moments, there's this self awareness. And I've always been a huge journaler and reflector and contemplative, um, both in my, you know, spiritual life, but as well as just in kind of all of life. Um, And just that recognition, again, I had a few aha moments, you know, three or four years ago over the course of time that I was just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've been living my life this way. But it helped me to feel like there, this is actually not uncommon, like our midlife crisis that we talk about with folks, you know, I'm in my 40s. And this all hit about the point when I turned 40, um, had had my last kiddo made some Transitions in my career like it's not surprising actually if we know Erickson's you know stages of development that I might have hit Something like this and that we all probably ought to hit something like this That it's not something to be afraid of that it actually allows us to then go forward in the the next part of our lives in a way that is more um, aware and intentional and again, we don't have to be stuck in those um, old ways
0: Yeah. And like you mentioned, there's so much hope in being like, okay, I can change. This can change. Life can change. Family can change. Work can change. But I went through a huge amount of, at first I thought it was just sadness, or I just didn't even know how to name the emotion. But now that I've worked with others, it really is grieving for that future life that you thought was going to happen. And then also grieving The mistakes of the past because you now have that enlightenment and see, oh, it didn't have to be like that.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, for many of us that are successful as well, it's not even just the the mistakes, it's the successes. Like we sort of can get through all of these points of our life and then you get to that like end point, you know, success, you know, achievements, whatever you want to call it. And you're sort of like, is this all? Like, is this Is this all there is? And so, yeah, it's a lot of this, whether it's the things that didn't go well or even the things that did go well. It's just that overall arrival at a place where it doesn't, it's not going to probably look the way that I thought it was going to look for the rest of my life.
0: Being okay with that. You know, being okay with the plan yeah. is not the plan that I had is is huge. What did you, mm-hmm. people-wise, book-wise, processes-wise, to mm-hmm. help you through
1: all of that? <laughs> I have my stack of books. Um, I take, you know, regularly I take pictures. I probably should, you know, at some point start some summary of all of them. But the biggest one that kind of got me started was a book called Real Behavior Change in Primary Care. And it's um, Patricia Robinson, Deborah Gould, and Kirk Strozall. They're out of the University of Washington. And it's a book that is about behavior change in medicine. It's acceptance and commitment therapy um, focused. But half of the book is about your patient, and half of the book is about us. And it was the, I read it. I don't know, five or six years ago. And it was one that really started to get me thinking about how does a lot of this apply to me? Um, like I said, I did some work in the Enneagram and so there's a lot of books out there that are are wonderful. Um, the road back to you is one that is a recent one that I like to call your like entry point, um, into it. And the author, um, Ian Cron does a, a great podcast as well. Um, I'll throw in a shameless plug so it can be on his podcast someday too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then I, I mean, just a variety of books. Um, I love um, Gretchen Rubin's work, um, you know, The Happiness Project. Um, and of course, Better Than Before, um, you know, just great stuff in there. Uh, goodness, of course, I'm, there's, oh, Richard Rohr is a great um, sort of, you know, a uh, Spiritual author, you know, kind of in the in the Christian um, tradition, uh, and he has had some really powerful things that have helped me and just, you know, my my faith journey as well. Um, so there's a, yeah. It's what a, about that's on a, the people
0: yeah. resources side? Did you have a coach or mentor, guidance, therapist? They're all different, but I'm just interested to hear what was your journey to kind of help you on the people resource side.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So it's a, it's a team always. So yeah, I've had a therapist for, you know, on and off for many years. Um, And I currently have found a great one who just really kind of tells him to be straight. I, I remember the first time I walked in to see him and, and many of us are probably the same way, like, especially in family medicine, we sort of know the things to say to therapists. And I just, I walked in, I was like, you are going to have to tell it to me straight because I can manipulate my way through a conversation and we're not going to get any work done. And he was like, okay, let's get to work. (laughs) So finding somebody like that, that can be straight with, with us. Um, You know, I hate to say that when we go into other professional environments as physicians and as female physicians, I think there's a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a comparison or an intimidation sort of scenario that does seem to play out in some of these relationships. You have to have people that'll be, that'll tell you the truth.
0: Oh yeah. We can bulldog people. Hence why I became a female physician coach because I felt that exact same way. Like I can, Mm -hmm. I can walk circles or I know what question you're going to ask me, Mr. or Miss Therapist before we even get there because Of our own training. And so you gotta have somebody that can go toe to toe with you and call you on your bullshit. And also when they praise you, it means something. So yeah, I agree with that hundred percent because as I was doing my coaches training, I wasn't coaching with other doctors. It was like ministers, stay at home moms. Like, uh, there was a hairstylist who, she was changing careers and they were so super intimidated. I'm like, guys, I'm a person with thoughts and feelings, emotions that are just as effed up as yours. You got to help me. Like, come on, let's do this. Right. together. Get to said, it. That's right. why I, I think you hit the nail on the head on why I think I'm so important to our colleagues because I'm like, Oh no, Oh no, I'm not letting you off the hook. You know, you say, out. Oh, you've got so many patients and you're going to skip our appointment tonight. I'm like, Oh no, you're going to drink some extra coffee or have some tea and you're going to get your ass on the call with me. Cause you know, you need it.
1: It's, it's so funny because that just reminds me of like a trainer. So the, the thing I've done recently for myself is, is my, for my physical health. And so I actually got a trainer going and I feel like, That's that trainer mentality of like Mm -hmm. you gotta show up and do the work, and whether it's you know your physical health or your spiritual health or your mental health, I mean it's all integrated. We know, Um, so yeah, that you need people that are gonna push you to to move forward. Otherwise, there's no change. Um, I I heard a recent, I think it might have been on one of um, Ian Cron's podcasts recently where he was defining crisis or using the Greek for it, and it's actually not a negative. You know, word, it's actually has to do with, um, change, you know, and just, uh, this kind of concept of recognizing the change and, and living into it. So crisis to us feels bad and kind of how we might define it. But I think there is that, uh, when you have someone that sort of brings you to a point of crisis, there's great change that can happen in that. Yeah. And growth, growth. It's is,
0: is like crisis all that it really is is overwhelming change like think Mm -hmm. about any kind of crisis Mm -hmm. be it a natural Mm -hmm. disaster or something in your family your financial it's just and and it's so how you look at that that's where you get the growth and i think that's the super important thing about growth mindset versus a fixed mindset Mm -hmm. that exactly that you can use a huge amount of change and say i feel out of control but i can handle this in small bites
1: Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah and and the other the other uh, scenario for people support was just groups. So when I was first in, you know, I was teaching faculty, and I was super intimidated because I was still more junior rank, and there's all these residents coming to me, and I'm like, I don't know what to, you know, am I a mentor? Or am I a peer? What am I? But we just started getting together and kind of talking about a lot of these issues. And the group um, interaction and just intentional questions and uh, that was, that was huge. I've always had a group of women that I meet with that are, you know, uh, through my church or, you know, different, um, sort of spiritual situations like that. Um, that's been a huge part of my life. And then the specific, um, time of my celebrate recovery experience where there's this kind of 12 step group process was all around a closed group meeting for like 15 months, once a week. And holy cow, do you get a lot of work done in those sorts of environments? And I am just further convinced of the group process in Healing treatment. I, you know, on completely different subject, but I think group um, uh, visits are a huge direction for our patients for the future. Um, there's so much that comes through that therapeutic relationship of just people talking around you.
0: Well, and there's so much to be said for the narrative of storytelling, and you know, it's not always about what you say in the group; it's about how you show up and you listen, because there's healing for everyone in that sharing potential that I think is so important. And now more than ever, those groups are more accessible. And so you're absolutely right. Is that, um, it's intimidating, you know, to have to go into a group and say, hi, my name is Aaron and I need help with whatever. But that's also where that humility and vulnerability opens up. That's when there's a huge amount of sharing and um, healing in that.
1: And you know, the the biggest area of healing that I think I experienced in doing that 12 step process was actually it, in my area of like empathy, because like many of us, when we go through burnout, obviously, one of the main components of that is depersonalization. And, you know, I had sort of really gotten to that point of even with my family feeling like not attached anymore, like it's just this detachment of uh, compassion, empathy, all of it. And in combination with the Enneagram, and then this, you know, recovery sort of experience I feel like I can actually sit with people now and experience empathy again, Um, which is, I mean, again, I thought, you know, five years ago, I was never going to be a feeling person. And I never thought of myself as a feeling person. Um, And again, learning about myself, I actually am a feeling person, as it turns out. (laughs) So I tell people a lot of times, like, in
0: that we have our like connection. If you think about like wires going out to other people and when you're burned out, you're cutting those wires so that you can shut down the feelings and the feelings of others because you can't even deal with what you are feeling. And so empathy actually for women is one of the last recovery steps to come back on board with burnout, like reestablishing those connections and then also learning how Mm -hmm. to like manage them so that you don't get like the Mm -hmm. huge, like, burst down the line and you start tapering those wires to what, what is appropriate with boundaries, with, you know, a lot of the other skills that you learn through all of these that even though you may get an emotion from someone or a feeling for somebody, like letting that starting to slide off instead of absorb.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a huge, a huge piece of the recovery process is sort of being able to recognize what's my stuff and what's, what's the other person's stuff. And I don't have to take on everybody's stuff. Um, I can, I just have my part of the pool to another uh, Emily P Freeman. She's a, another blogger podcaster. She Gave this great analogy. I don't know if it's her original one, but I was never a lifeguard, and people I know are lifeguards out there. But the idea of a lifeguard, I now have great appreciation for taking my kids to Great Wolf Lodge, where you know that the one lifeguard is watching the one part of the pool, and that's their part of the pool. And as soon as I started to really recognize, like, I do not have to carry the burdens of the world, it's this is my part of the pool, and that's helpful.
0: Yeah. And it also takes off that pressure and the stress of that you are the keeper of all. And
1: when you really narrow in, then you can give that special attention to what you really are a keeper of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, the first step in 12 step process is that I'm powerless to change and my life is unmanageable. I mean, it's like what, what, uh, pride I have to actually think that I could have an impact on, you know, this many people. I mean, I'm, I'm just one human being that can be a contribution to anyone's life, but I don't have to be either. Like, it's just a, it was a huge step in kind of coming out of self-reliance and selfishness and, you know, even some judgment, I think, that I had been harboring. So it's helpful to hear you say that that empathy piece is sort of one of the last recovery pieces of, of burnout that makes me feel, you know, better than maybe They're I'm- are normal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the, and I'm on the tail end of this process, maybe. No, I. it's, it, again, it's a never ending process. I think.
0: It is a never ending process. But there is, like I've spoken to before, it's a good year and a half, two years. Like if you, from self-recognition and and working through it and not like hopping or trying to like cover those feelings or like self-cope with something else, like it is a long time. You didn't get to burnout in a month. You're not going to get out of burnout in a month. And so that's why I think it's really important that we keep speaking out and telling our stories like, hey, I left my job two years ago and now I'm finally feeling healthy
1: through it Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm four years into this process, you know, easily. And I- do you feel like it's just, you know, only a couple layers of the onion, like you're saying? Yeah.
0: So mm-hmm. deconstruction is a huge word right now, especially mm-hmm. in Christian faith life. We were talking mm-hmm. before the recording a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, a selfish plug, one of my favorite podcasts. If you like the F-bomb, then you need to listen to Bad Christian. Um, <laughs> it's an awesome podcast that I've really gotten into because the things that I was feeling in my own Christian faith, nobody else was talking about until I got on this podcast. Then it kind of, I was like, Oh, and so actually I learned about deconstruction through this podcast and I've seen how it has transpired through my personal life and through my professional life. Mm -hmm. But let's talk a little bit for our listeners who maybe don't understand the verbiage of deconstruction. Mm -hmm. What's your definition on it?
1: So I see it as the idea of kind of the, the false self and true self is a little bit of how it's taught in, um, in circles of faith, um, where you know you build up a, a life based around our experiences in childhood, you know, obviously our dispositions, these sorts of things, we kind of put on who we are, who we're expected to be. And it's this sort of blend of, you know, who we launched into our twenties as and in our thirties. And I think that what I've grown to understand it all, all those things are necessary. And I'm actually grateful that I've had the opportunity to, you know, I grew up in a home where I was the oldest. And so a lot of what I put on was being the, being the oldest of four four kids and being relied upon and, you know, all these things. But what happens is, is that you get to these points. And, and again, I just go back to Erickson's, um, developmental stages. You know, when when we're children, we can't continue to live the way that we are going to be living forever. There's different transitions that happen. And so to me, deconstruction is the point at which you sort of decide that the way that I, the things that I've been putting on um, as my clothes, as my armor, as Brene Brown likes to say it. So the process of um, deconstruction really starts, I think, when we recognize that we aren't having to sort of stay where we were. Um, And, you know, Brene Brown talks about taking off the armor and sort of this acceptance of vulnerability. And, you know, I think in, in Christian um, experience for me, what I've grown to see is that there are certain things that kind of had to be the way they were and brought up. And I've actually appreciated some of the writings that I've read where, you know, maybe some of the rules or doctrine or whatever that is, is actually, it's okay when we're children. Um, And then we sort of move forward into this space of, of learning about grace and, um, and again, vulnerability and how is that contrast with this, you know, kind of shame experience, which is sort of what I carry carried a lot of and when I started to be able to articulate things again combination of my health behavior understanding uh spiritual reading self-reflection all of that put together starting to take off some of these things like I would practice vulnerability like that was my you know sort of catchphrase for a while. I would just try to share something that was a little bit closer to home. Um, and once I did that, I felt like I was kind of taking off a layer and letting other people know me. Because part of what my um, experience as, so I'm an Enneagram three. And so a lot of what my uh, effort is, is at putting on a, 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 an appearance of being a certain way um, and largely around success. And so, you know, I'm going to try to achieve, I'm going to try to look this way, I'm going to try and look, you know, that way, um, and perhaps even manipulate relationships in order to feel that way about my life. And again, the recognition of that and self-awareness, again, once you hit that point of knowledge, you can't ever go back to not knowing. (laughs) And then it's just about where do I go from here? And I know that that's a lot of work to kind of continue to take off layers and then, so that's the deconstruction process and then i think once you kind of deconstruct then you can start to sort of I, I i almost don't think it's a rebuilding i almost think that it's just sort of taking off the layers to what's already there and then being comfortable with the with the vulnerability and the grace that uh lies in our in our giftings
0: yeah i know that i've tried to explain deconstruction because and it's i tell people it's not like at sometimes it feels like I've taken a sledgehammer <laughs> to like my fictional home or my building that has been me and, and everything. And there has been some moments like that where I've taken down some walls that no longer serve me or I grew up in a very conservative Christian home Some of those beliefs now as an adult and looking at it, those don't serve me anymore. and Those are no longer my beliefs. And so those have had to be totally removed with my sledgehammer. But I, I feel like, too, with deconstruction, there is a reconstruction with it. But this time around, I know that I may be remodeling again, and that's okay. And Mm -hmm. so I think of Mm -hmm. it more as like a home analogy, like Mm -hmm. this was, this was how I was built as a child and through my experience as a young adult. Mm -hmm. And now it's time to continually keep looking at like, okay, what needs to be remodeled now? Just thinking like on the idea of home improvement and that sort of thing. And maybe this isn't the home that you stay in and it doesn't even look the same by the end of the process, but Mm -hmm. just recognizing and changing the mindset of well, this is how I am and this is how I'm always going to be has been so terrifying, but yet now coming through it, it's like, this is really exciting. And I can see in my older family members where they don't get it. Like they are who they are and that's who they will be always. But just like hearing you talk, I, I think that brings into a different enlightenment in life. I feel like our generation is at a point where we're saying, yeah, this has been okay. And we love and we thank you for what you felt was the best for us. But now we are seeking our own truths.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love the the home analogy too. I, you know, i we work- fans of fixer upper just like i'm sure everybody is (laughs) and you know this idea of restoration i think the the word restoration feels really resonant to me and um kind of the idea of yeah there's great bones and then it's just sort of restoring things to perhaps it what we were originally intended to be, or perhaps it's more of something different. And, you know, I think for everybody it's sort of a, a different process and a journey in figuring yeah. that out.
0: Feel, I've done that both with like physical items and also mental items, like something that has served me in the past. Like I've gone through and thought about everything, like the tradition of Christmas and how we talk about Easter and since we're coming up on that in the Easter all, and how am I going to talk to my children about this when I am really seeking into these beliefs and understanding them. And I've just come to realize that there's sometimes there's things you take out of your mind and you're like, okay, this is not serving me right now. But then you do a restoration and you get your uh, hot glue gun out and you change it and they are like, okay, now this now fits again. But just being fluid and being like, well, this may not be where we always are. I mean, one huge one in our culture is gay marriage. I mm-hmm. mean, growing up, that was, that was like a no-no in my home to even talk about. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. culturally we have moved. And I see with the older church-going congregation, I see them struggling with that. And I feel like maybe we're at an advantage in our generation that we're learning to struggle earlier perhaps.
1: And I think that that's what I have learned from um, my favorite, you know, Sort of, there's another podcast that's called The Mid Faith Crisis. That is probably it's similar to the Bad Christians, Um, and they actually have talked about like when you're kind of moving through, especially like kind of a um, a spiritual or faith deconstruction. That they have said that with your children, it's actually okay to sort of talk through this process because so much of what our faith journey is is a process of seeking and you know kind of adjusting and then you know kind of moving forward in that way. I, I have a pastor that I love who calls it the slow transformation of grace. And I just think that that's really helpful in, again, acceptance of ourselves, you know, acceptance of what is in our lives. And, you know, there's just a lot of acceptance around around yeah. that. So
0: I know as I've talked with my children just about this, again, like we go to my family and it's still very traditional Christian tradition, prayer and you know, is Jesus in your heart kind of thing? And I pushed back on that, of course, because, you know, as, as I've been seeking on that. But then talking to my seven-year-old and him asking those kind of questions. And at first, it was very uncomfortable to be like, buddy, I don't know. But I think that that has actually helped with some of his anxieties to know that it, it truly is not black and white. I remember as a seven-year-old, I thought it was very black and white. And, you know, and I, there was a lot of scare and shame with that. You know, I was like, if I don't walk the line, then I am going to hell. But with him, I, I'm hoping that through my own journey that he sees that there's so much more gray and that as he's processing it, that, that gives him the ability so he's not in his 30s and 40s when he finally steps back and says, whoa, is everything I learned true to me?
1: mm hmm mm-hmm. yeah, and you know at least where I have ended up with in this process, you know, because I would still say that I'm a Jesus follower, and you know all of those sorts of things, and what that means now is more true to I think what I read in the New Testament of what we are really called to is is heart change it's heart movement it's not our actions it's not the external appearances of you know what may not actually be in inside, and that has I've also uh, another book that I've loved is one called the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And like you were describing about this like certain path that it sort of looked as you were growing up. I mean, I think I had a similar experience. And just being able to sort of know that there's different desires of my heart that are are placed there. And that in actually sort of aligning them with a the spiritual discipline or, you know, physical discipline or some other sort of thing. And I know discipline is sort of a strong word. People don't always like that. Maybe it's because of my military experience that I'm okay with it. But I do think that there is a process of change that happens with each kind of, you know, action, activity, you know, these sorts of things that that help move in that direction. And I would love my kids <clears throat> in whatever sort of faith journey that they uh, continue to be on, just understanding that like a lot of this is, is, is self-reflection and then um, moving forward in uh, a direction of what we feel called to, to be a part of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having such a, a candid conversation with me today. We didn't even know that we go into the spiritual world. Um, you know
1: it's, it's all it's all good, right? <laughs>
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And so if anybody is like, wow, I would really love to connect more, just hear more about your story, where's the best way for them to connect with you?
1: Well, I am on a pause from social media. I will be honest. That's been part of my, uh, my process. So LinkedIn is the one um, area that I have continued to, to be a part of. So Amanda Kuda on LinkedIn, and uh, that, would be, that would be great. And they can also search by 98.6, the point spelled out, uh, and, and they'll probably find me um, that way as well. So.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's, it's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Erin. This has been really fun.
0: So who knew a female physician podcast, medical podcast, would get into faith issues, right? Is that not fun? I hope that you got as much out of the conversation as I have. Actually, as I've listened to it, editing it and going back to it. It just has a lot in it. It's a pretty long one, but we start out talking about personal development. We jump into recovery, and then we end with deconstruction of beliefs. That's like a whole semester class all in one. But anyway, for your kick of encouragement today, what I really wanted to talk about is that Going through burnout is a recovery process. Dr. Kuda touched on it um, with her experience with the 12-step process, but it's not something you're going to yoga away. It's not something that you're going to read one book and you're going to be cured. You're going to take one multivitamin and your depletion is going to be gone. No, it is a process. and so No matter where you are at on that process, I just want you to know you're getting there. You're getting one step closer each and every single day. And if you feel like you're struggling, now is the time to reach out. Now is the time to look and say, what other resources do I need? Is it written? Is it a person? Is it, you know, what else do I need? And so those are the questions I want you to ask yourself, um, talking about the recovery that perhaps that you're in. And then getting into the second part where we're talking about deconstruction of beliefs. Guys, it's very normal to sit back and be like, do I really believe what I believe? Are the truths that I was taught still my truths today? And I'm not saying that you have to totally like tear everything down and start over from the foundation again. But I think it's really important to live a totally fulfilled life to say, yes, yes, Everything that I hold true still has truth and is still serving me in a positive way. Because here's the thing, and it's the premise of coaching, is that our thoughts and beliefs affect everything in our lives, from our actions to our habits to the life that we are living. And so if the life that you're not living is not the one you foresee, it's time to back up and look in those thoughts and beliefs And with that, it's great to have somebody to bounce that off of. Just like I was telling Dr. Kuda on the recording, I am a toe-to-toe coach. And if you feel like you need that, let's jump on a call together. So I do these things called colleague-to-colleague calls. They're totally free. I'm not selling you. I absolutely promise. I can tell you So many people have reached out from the podcast so far and done this it, usually 30 to 45-minute call just to work through their biggest problems and just to have somebody Trained as a coach and as a colleague to bounce off of. And so I challenge you if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you're like, you know what? It's time. Because it is time, girls. It's time. Go to the show notes, click on the link, get your butt signed up. If you don't find a time that works because you're like all the rest of us as is hashtag Dr. Mom Life, then just email me, and we will find a time that works, and we'll talk, and then hopefully you will have a breath of fresh air to go into this next day with joy and fulfillment and a sense of hope and purpose. So that's my challenge to you. No more hiding, none of that. And always, always remember your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Bye guys. Love you. And I really do